Well, good morning, everyone. Invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Second Kings. We're going to be in Second Kings chapter eight, <clears throat> verses one through fifteen. We'll be looking at two different narratives, verses one through six, and then seven through fifteen, uh, that are approaching this question of God's kingdom in conflict with the kingdom of man from two different perspectives. Now, if you are just joining us uh, and haven't been following along over the last several months, we have been going through the ministries of the prophet Elijah and then his successor, the prophet Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. And at the very center of this storyline that has gone from the rising up of Elijah now through Elisha is this question of a conflict of kingdoms. So the sermon series is called A Conflict of Kingdoms. But the way that this conflict is coming about is different than what we might expect. Because we might hear that idea of a conflict of kingdoms and think that there are two nation states that are warring against each other. And in fact, we do see some warring of nation states of Syria coming against the kingdom of Israel and this conflict coming about. But the reality is, is that we're actually looking at and seeing displayed for us the conflict between the kingdoms of man and the kingdom of God. And we see how it is that God is seeking to establish His kingdom here on earth through His prophets. You see, instead of raising up an army that would march under the banner of the Lord God, He has raised up these prophets who will speak His Word, and through speaking His Word, He will establish His kingdom. Even as when the Lord Jesus Christ came, we see that His ministry was summarized and that He came proclaiming the kingdom of God. His disciples thought maybe this means that He is going to raise an army and He's going to oust Rome from Israel. But the reality is, is that the kingdom of God did not come through force of arms, but it came through the preaching of the word of Christ and the redemption that he won on the cross. As we come to our passage for this morning, what we see is kingdoms in conflict. And we see how it is that the Lord is bringing about his kingdom through the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. Now, in particular, in this conflict of kingdoms, what we've seen that the background is, is that the northern kingdom of Israel, which was no longer under the rule of the kings of David, but rather it was now under the rule of a dynasty that was established by a man named Omri. And Omri and his offspring did not pursue the Lord, but rather they pursued foreign gods. One of the most famous of these kings from his line was Ahab. And Ahab sought after worship of Baal. And instead of bringing life and production into his kingdom, he's actually brought death. 
And it is that that we see playing out in these two stories. We see this kingdom conflict in which the Lord does two very important things. First, he moves to bring life where the kingdom of man has brought death. Over and over and over again, we've seen the way that the kingdom of man has brought death into this world, whether it is through famine or through this false worship or it's through these accidents that bring people into these horrible places in which death is at the doorstep. And through the Lord's prophet, he brings life. And that's what we'll see in the first several verses. But second, we see that through his prophets, he also brings the judgment of death to the kingdom of man. That because of sin and rebellion, to bring down the kingdom of man and all the wickedness that is being entrenched within the kingdom of Israel, God must enact judgment and bring death to those who rebel against His kingdom. You see, the stories that we read this morning might be buried in the book of 2 Kings and we might pass over them very quickly, but the reality is that the Word of God this morning is truly a matter of life and death. So here now, the Word of the Lord. 2 Kings Chapter 8. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine and it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourn in the land of the Philistines seven years. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the the dead to life, behold, The woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left the land until now. Now Elisha came to Damascus. Then Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And when it was told him, the man of God has come here, the king said to Hazael, Take a present with you and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord through him, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? So Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him, all kinds of goods of Damascus, forty camels loads. When he came and stood before him, he said, Your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? And Elisha said to him, Go say to him, You shall certainly recover. But the Lord has shown me that he shall certainly die. 
And he fixed his gaze and stared at him until he was embarrassed. And the man of God wept. And Hazael said, Why does my Lord weep? He answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses, and you will kill their young men with the sword, and dash in pieces their little ones, and rip open their pregnant women. And Hazael said, What is your servant who is but a dog that he should do this great thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you are to be king over Syria. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What did Elisha say to you? And he answered, He told me that you would certainly recover. But the next day he took the bedcloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face till he died. And Hazael became king in his place. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you and we ask that you would guide us by your word and your spirit, that in your light we may see light, and in your truth we might find freedom, and in your will discover your peace and your life. We pray, O God, that your word would bring to us deliverance from the death of the kingdom of man, that we might be restored unto life and life everlasting. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. Amen. In verses 1 through 6 of our text, we have displayed for us, again, how it is that the Lord is moving to bring life out of the midst of death. You see, the context of what has happened here is that this Shunammite woman, this woman, if you remember from several weeks ago, who received a son and then her son died and then Elisha brought him back to life, the Lord, now through his prophet, has spoken a word to her and has said, there is a great famine that is coming to the land. But I'm going to save you from this great famine through the word of the prophet. You are to go and you are to sojourn amongst the Philistines for seven years that your life might be spared from this great famine that has come upon the land of Israel. Now, as this has happened now seven years later, we are brought into the very courtroom of the king of Israel. Israel and the servant of Elisha, Gehazi, has been asked by the king of Israel to recall the miracles of the prophet Elisha. Now, no doubt he goes through all the amazing things that we have seen in God's word, how it is that Elisha called forth the axe head to float up from the river, how the oil never ran dry, how he recovered the stew that was poisoned and made it so that it was healthful again. And then he got to the most amazing thing that Elisha even called forth from the dead a young boy who had unexpectedly died. And I could imagine the king being a little incredulous. Really? He 
He really did that? I, I can't imagine how this would happen. But then, right before his eyes, this woman shows up with her son. It's an amazing providence of the Lord. And what we see here is that the Lord is seeking to bring about life through the death that was established through the reign of this earthly king, through the word of his prophet, Elisha. First, by delivering this woman from the famine, but then by recalling all that the ministry of Elisha has brought about. That even though the kingdom of this world continually brought about death, the word of the prophet brought about life. You see, this is foreshadowing to us the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as He came to establish the kingdom of God, He did it through His prophetic ministry. You see, we often miss the parallels between the life of Jesus and the ministry of Elisha. We see Elijah and John the Baptist and how they are equated with one another. But we miss the fact that Elisha was a foreshadowing of Christ himself. For Elisha and Christ feed the crowds miraculously. Christ healed lepers even as Elisha had healed Naaman. And finally we see that Christ raised from the dead Lazarus even as Elisha raised this young boy from the dead. You see, the earthly ministry of Christ was aimed at overcoming the kingdom of man through His prophetic word of life. And even when the disciples ran into conflict, and many of them abandoned the Lord. Jesus went to His inner circles of disciples and said, Are you going to abandon Me? And they said, To whom shall we go? For you alone have the words of life. As we continue in this text, we see that the Lord not only brings about life through His Word, but He also brings about life through His providence. Or His sovereignty. You see, God's providence means that He is in control. It's His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all of their actions. And we see through this narrative that the Lord is using His providence, His control of all things to establish life. I wonder if you've ever experienced a coincidence quite so powerful as the one that we see here in this text. As this woman shows up even as the, the prophet's servant Gehazi is telling the story. One small coincidence, which is not even close to that level, but that was impactful to me, was one time I was leading a group of Cub Scouts and one of the little boys in our Cub Scout group asked me, is my name in the Bible? You see, he was surrounded by Davids and Judas and Caleb's, and he wanted to know, was the name Ethan in the Bible? I said, you know, I, I don't know if Ethan is in the Bible. I don't think it, that it is. And I could tell he was rather disappointed by the fact that his name wasn't in the Bible. 
Well, the very next morning in my devotion time, I came to 1 Kings chapter 4. And there I read, For Solomon was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan. And I was surprised. I thought, is Ethan all over the Bible? Have I completely missed this? And so I did a little search on my Bible program, you know, Ethan. And it shows up five times in the Bible. Out of the 1,189 chapters of the Bible, there are five times that this name shows up. And I had missed it all of these times. And maybe it was just a coincidence that the next day after I was asked if Ethan was in the Bible is that I ran across it. Maybe it was just a coincidence. I ran the numbers. It's about a 0.4% chance. (laughs) And it's a small coincidence, a small providence. But this little boy, it was important to him. And when I came and told him the next time we met, Yes, your name is in the Bible. And God brought me to that verse right after you asked. He was very encouraged. Now, this coincidence, again, is nothing compared to what happens in our text. The king of Israel, Jehoram, getting Gehazi to tell him about the miracles of Elisha. And we see in verse 4, it says, Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And even as he's in the middle of telling him of how he raised this young man from the dead, who should walk into the king's chambers? In verse 5, we read, while he was telling, while he was telling, I think that while is so important, while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appeared to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son whom Elisha restored to life. What are the chances? How could this be? You see, there truly is no such thing as chance in God's world. Randomness is not in control. The Lord God Himself is in control. And He directed all the pieces of this event to come together at the same time that this woman's life, which was saved through the prophetic Word of God, will now be saved as she returns to the land of Israel through God's providence. That at the very time that she is appealing for life to be restored through the restoration of her land, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, is telling the king her story. What an amazing coincidence. What an amazing display of God's control to bring all the pieces together at the right time that her life might be saved yet again. It reminds me of Romans 5 where the Apostle Paul, describing the work of Christ, said, at the right time Christ died For the ungodly. Or when he says in the book of Ephesians that was, that the purposes of God were set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. 
You see, God uses His control of all things. He uses His providence to bring all the pieces together, even when we don't understand. I mean, this woman returned from her sojourning in the land of the Philistines, and she came back, and she had no idea how the land would be restored to her, but God was working in the background so that at the right time, her life would be restored to her. The kingdom of this world seems out of control. Randomness and chance are the presumed powers over life and over death. The world teaches us that the way that life is brought about in this world is through chance and randomness. And the way that death comes into this world again is by randomness. But the Word of God tells us that in His kingdom there is nothing that is random but that He is working to bring about life in the midst of death. Now this providence leads us to the third way that the Lord is moving to bring about life in the midst of death. He does it through His life-giving Word. He does it through His powerful providence. And He does it through His gracious redemption. Now redemption, that word means to buy something back. To buy something back. And as the Lord establishes His kingdom, He seeks to graciously buy His people out of death. They are in the kingdom of death, and He needs to buy them out of it. We are told that this woman went to the land of the Philistines to avoid the famine that struck Israel. But while she was gone, apparently somebody has taken her land. And she has come to the king to have her land restored to her. It's a story that has played out more than one time in God's word. If you remember, Jacob and his sons went to sojourn in Egypt to avoid the effects of a famine. Naomi and her family sojourned in the land of Moab to avoid the famine that was in Bethlehem. Now we have this woman who went to the Philistines to save her family from the death brought on by the famine in Israel. And yet when she returns, she has found that her land has been taken. And just like Israel coming out of Egypt and Naomi and Ruth coming out of Moab, this woman needs the Lord to redeem her land. She needs to have the land bought back so that she may live. And this is exactly what happens in the text. The king, so moved by the work of God and the life of this woman, not only restores her land, but he gives to her all the produce that was lost in the seven years that she was gone. Look at verse 6. It says, So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields, from the day that she left the land until now. You see, this woman returns not knowing what she will find in Israel. And yet, as she obeys the Lord in faith, She sees His gracious redemption playing out and that all that was left behind now has been restored to her, has been bought back to rescue the people of Israel out of Egypt. The price was the firstborn son. 
For Naomi and Ruth, Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, had to pay the price to buy them out of their poverty. And here we see that the Lord provided yet again the redemption price so that this woman and her son might have their lives preserved in the midst of death. Even as the Lord Jesus Christ, in establishing the kingdom of God, paid the redemption price, to buy His people out of the kingdom of Satan, out from the wages of sin, and bring them into His gracious kingdom of life. As we read in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, in Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. You see, the kingdom conflict that we experience in our day is just like the kingdom conflict that was playing out at that time. We, too, are those who have been exiled off of the land of life because of our own sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ has come and He has moved to pay the redemption price so that we might be brought back into the kingdom of life. This is the work of God's kingdom. This is how the kingdom warfare is waged. He does it by His life-giving Word. He does it through His powerful providence. And He does it by His gracious redemption to buy His people out of death and to give them life in the kingdom of His Son. And yet, this kingdom warfare is not just about life. If we just stopped at verse 7 or at verse 6, we might come away with the nice feelings of, oh, yes, God is so gracious and kind and gives us life to establish His kingdom, which we should be encouraged by that. And yet, verses 7 and following are dark and somewhat gruesome. And we see that in this kingdom conflict, That there truly is warfare. And that to establish His kingdom, the Lord God must also enact the judgment of death. Just as the first half of our text took us back to the story of the Shunammite woman, now when we read this name, Hazael, it should bring us all the way back to Mount Horeb. If you remember the background... Elijah has done battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And he has won a great victory. But then Jezebel pursues him and he runs away. And the Lord brings him to Mount Horeb. And there tells him of the next stage of his ministry. And the Lord said to Elijah, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Elisha you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. You see, the Lord had determined that this man, Hazael, would rise to be king over Syria and that Elisha would be his prophet. But to what end? Well, the Lord tells Elijah towards what end. For he says... The one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu, the king of Israel, 
put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. You see, not only is the Lord moving to bring about life through the word ministry of his prophet, but he has also anointed agents to bring about judgment on those who have broken his law. Hazael in Syria, Jehu, who we'll read about in a few weeks, who will rise up in Israel, and Elisha, his prophet. The word of God is life to those who believe, but it brings judgment and even the judgment of death upon the kingdoms of this world. Now in our text, Hazael has come to inquire about the health of the king of Syria. And yet Elisha knows that the Lord has raised this man up to be the next king of Syria, to bring judgment on the kingdom of Omri. As you see, just as the Lord's providence means that he will bring out life from death, it also means that he will bring the judgment of death upon those who break his covenant. For the kingdoms of this world believe that they are in control, but the Lord himself is in control of the rise and fall of kingdoms. Now the images which Elisha describes here of what Hazael will do to the kingdom of Israel are even too horrible to dwell upon. We have a good enough picture of the carnage that comes from disobedience. But we need to see the Lord's heart in this judgment of death, in the weeping of Elisha. Because the text says that Elisha wept as he gave this prophetic word. You see, death, the death that this judgment must bring, was never the Lord's desire for his people. His desire for his people is life, his desire is eternal life. Yet we continually rebel against him. The Lord warned his people that the wages of sin are death, but they would not listen. The Lord warned in his covenant that if they turned from following him, that it would bring destruction and horrible consequences. But his people continue to rebel against them. And so to bring down the kingdom of death and to establish the kingdom of life, the Lord had to pursue the judgment of death against those who rebelled against Him. He had to bring down the kingdom of this world to establish His righteous kingdom of life. And yet He does it with a tear in His eye, as it were. For the book of Ezekiel says, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live and turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Do you hear God's heart? He is proclaiming His word through His prophets, saying, Why would you choose death when I have offered you life? And yet, death will come to those who rebel. Death will come to the kingdom of man that the kingdom of life might be established. We see this heart 
In the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he looked out on the city of Jerusalem, the people that would crucify him in just a few days from when he spoke this, when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those that are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? But you were not willing. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ came to destroy the kingdom of Satan that he might establish his kingdom. But in the midst of it, he wept over those who would not receive it. So how then do these two very desperate pictures of God working to establish his kingdom come together? On the one hand, you have God establishing life through His Word, through His providence, through His gracious redemption. But then in the very next story, juxtaposed to that, we have this story of God using His Word and His providence to call forth this man named Hazael who will be king of Syria and who will enact judgment and the most gruesome of death. Well, the resolution is found. And that the Lord Jesus Christ brought both together in one moment on the cross. For you see, the Lord Jesus Christ came to bring the life of the kingdom of God into the world enslaved to the death of the kingdom of Satan. And yet, He came also to take upon Himself the judgment that was due to those who had broken God's covenant law. And so in the most unbelievable way, the Lord brought judgment and life together in one event to establish both the kingdom of life and to bring judgment upon the kingdom of this world. For in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the punishment of His people was placed upon Him. The curse of the covenant was placed upon Him. And He underwent the wrath of God against sin. And He suffered Death, because death was what was required because of our rebellion. The guilt of all of His people paid. And yet, He did not just undergo the punishment of death, but He also opened up the path of life. For in His death, death was destroyed and life was established. For as the Lord Jesus Christ came forth from the grave, the kingdom of God broke into the kingdom of this world. And even now, the Lord Jesus Christ is waging kingdom warfare, calling forth through the redemption of His cross people that He has bought with His blood to come out of the kingdom of death and into the kingdom of life. And this morning, the Word of God comes to you. It is no small word. It is a matter of life and death. Which kingdom are you in? For we are all born into the kingdom of this world, the kingdom that leads to death. But there is offered to you this morning life. And the Lord is pleading with you, why would you choose death when life is before you? Even as Christ wept at the tomb of His friend Lazarus, so too now does He offer to us this path of life. For the Lord Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is no small matter. It's a matter of life and death. Do you believe? For a set before you this day is life and death. And God is calling forth to you. Choose life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, would you open our eyes to the reality of the kingdom conflict that is going on even in our day? Would we see, O oh God, the spiritual warfare and that you have won for us life through your Son, Jesus Christ, through his word, through the perfect timing of his death, and through the redemptive blood that he poured out on our behalf. O oh God, would we flee from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of your beloved Son by your grace. We pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen.